0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. I'm Chase. My co host James is here with me, as always. And we are very excited to put this episode out for you guys. The two of us will be here in a few minutes after the ad break for an interview with Rod Boone, the Charlotte Observer's Charlotte Hornets beat reporter. Rod has covered the Hornets for The Athletic, the, uh, Sports Illustrated, and now The Observer. He's been with the team for longer than any media member. And we're super pumped to have him on the show, ask him how things have been going with the Hornets this season, how he got to where he is as a beat writer and p- plenty of other topics we touched on in, a, in our interview. A lot of fun talking to Rod. Really appreciate him coming on with us. James, how, how, we, we just recorded this interview. So you're, you're catching us after we recorded. How are you feeling right now?
1: I'm, look, having Rod on was great. I mean he's been someone we've both been wanting to have on for ages. Uh, we've been trying to make it work since before Christmas <laughs> But you know, obviously, Christmas gets in the way of a lot of things and stuff like that. So yeah, I think having him Rod on was was amazing. Like, he is the voice of the Charlotte Hornets. From like, he is the only full time beat beat writer for the Charlotte Hornets. And to have him come on the show, um, you know, you're going to get some really good information about some of Rod's views on center targets for the trade deadline. um, Some interesting kind of little some facts about some of the plays that some things you won't know about. Um, and just a really great insight into like what it's like being a beat reporter because it's it's not easy it is not it's not easy it's a lot of hard work um yeah but it was absolutely great having rod on and we look forward to hopefully having rod on again at another point in the future i'm already looking forward to the next time
0: as am i uh i mean I, i i wanted to say this too before we go i'm going to the hornets game again in boston on wednesday very excited very excited let's hope this.
1: it goes as well as the last one i, mean, I know
0: i know we're hoping for a re- maybe i'm the lucky charm maybe i should just travel with the team maybe i mean i don't have the money for that so i would need funding but i'm, I'm sure we could crowdfund that i can just be like a a traveling mascot
1: look if it means the team wins I'm great because it is getting i mean it's not getting it's been close in the nba standings for ages but every every time you kind of feel like you know the, the hawks are seven and three in the last 10 games now. They've been on a little bit of a run. I think they won six in a row at one point. They are now, the Hawks are three and a half games back from the Charlotte Hornets, which just doesn't feel a lot and they're in the 10th seed. And um, what one interesting thing I, I tweeted out earlier today was I was trying to look at that first round pick that is protected. It's top 18 protected this year. So if the Hornets finish in the, the essentially the, the top, if they finish in the top 18, they get to keep the pick. And I was looking at how likely we think it is. And I actually think now I think it's pretty likely that Charlotte keeps that pick Mm -hmm. for Charlotte to lose the pick. And I tweet, tweet this out as people might've seen it, but they would have to finish top six, right? Which means that they would need to stay ahead of Toronto, Boston, and Atlanta. And they would need to have to jump one of Cleveland, Philly, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn on Chicago. That feels like to stay above all of them and jump one of them feels a bit of a stretch for me personally. On top of that, they essentially need to make sure that anyone below the Clippers, so the Clippers, the Lakers, the Blazers, none of them and Minnesota finish above them. And Minnesota are 500 right now. Again, I think there's even a chance that Minnesota, the Lakers, could go on a, like, a late season surge here and could maybe finish with a better record than the Hornets. Um, so I, I just think it'd be interesting. I think we could be looking at a a pick around 18 in the draft. Um, which should be interesting, and I have to say, I watched. There was a lot of good college basketball on this past uh, weekend. Oh yeah. I don't know if you, you caught any on Sunday? I, so, my my fiance, she was out for the whole day, and she's like, "What are you going to do today?" I was going to go fishing, right? And um, it was like gale force winds here, like fifty mile per hour winds. Didn't go fishing, and I ended up just sitting watching back to back to back college basketball. Uh, and I think at first it was Duke. Uh, you you remember the games better than me now. Um, I think it was
0: Duke Notre. No, no Duke Notre Dame was last night. Uh, that was the
1: other day. Um, they were playing so they. Oh, come on now. Anyway, it was Duke. They, that was the team of prospect, all prospects. Louisville,
0: Louisville, Louisville. Louisville.
1: That. Thank you. And then it was. Um, we had Kansas versus Kansas, Kentucky, Kentucky was later. Uh, yeah, and we had and the, Baylor uh, versus Alabama in the middle. Yep. That was a lot of draft. There's a lot of scouting going on. I've got a lot of notes from those three games. Oh, there we go.
0: Hit us with with your, 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 the the most prevalent one right now. I'm, I'm, I really, I really appreciated the, the comments from Hot Rat uh, or the comment from Hot Rats on our, uh, the last pod that we posted saying that he doesn't mind the draft content. I'm taking that as him speaking for everybody. So this, this is, he opened the floodgates. James hit, hit us right now.
1: Mark, Mark Williams.
0: Yes. Right, I mentioned him. There we go. He, he is good. He's good. I, I, Mark I like Williams the
1: changes the game like and can pass. He even hit like an 18 foot jump shot. that looks He's smooth, an excellent college through.
0: basketball player.
1: He Mark Williams. There's a lot of things that I like with him. Um, I liked also what I saw with AJ Griffin, although I don't think we're going to be talking about him in the Hornets range. Um, Walker Kessler interested me. Um Jeremy So, so- Sohan? Uh, I think it's
0: I think it's Sohan because he is a, a Polish and British national. He grew up in England. I'm not what? sure where. I'm i I'm gonna Google it right now. But he was Jeremy born, Sohan is he, British? Yeah, but he plays for the Polish national team. So he was like born <laughs> there. Uh, he I can't find where he went to school in uh, Southampton. It it's Itchen Itchin College. Itchin College.
1: Well, this is. I mean, I'm showing my lack of knowledge here. Um, oh, you don't. I was. I was going
0: to say. How far? How far is that even from you in, in Manchester? Is that is that like a regional?
1: That's that's far away. That's okay. Like okay. That's five that's hour different. drive away, okay, which that... for like our country is pretty much to the end of the country. But my my fiance's sister teaches in Southampton, um, so could have taught. Jeremy Sohan so that would be amazing cool. but um anyway we are we are holding people back from the robbin interview i know there's people who want to hear but um i i i really jump started my college scouting with a great day of sunday basketball so i'm i'm looking forward to that and i think there's some there's some really interesting options around the 18th pick range
0: yeah and i and i completely agree with like everything you said in regards to the hornets keeping that pick too like they're they're already like as of the moment of recording on Tuesday, February 1st uh, at the evening, they are picking 18th. So they would keep the pick. And like you said, like who knows if Boston Atlanta or Toronto make any sort of run. uh, And then that would also imply the Hornets have to jump over someone ahead of them. It's just a lot like that. That's a lot to happen. It's not impossible, but I mean, it's certainly, I would say it's also possible that the Hornets just keep that pick straight up and, that means that there's going to be plenty of draft content come come March. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll do another March Madness episode here in like maybe maybe a month month and a half or so. We'll we'll get the get the ball rolling again. But we will not have any hold you guys any longer. The interview with Rod Boone is coming up right now. Thank you again to Rod for the fourth time I think, but it we great time we had recording this interview. We really hope that you guys enjoy it. We'll see you guys soon.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cool.
1: Um... All right, we ready? are <laughs> ready. Take it away, Chase.
0: All right, welcome back to At The Hive Live. We are joined by Rod Boone, the Charlotte Hornets beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer. Rod, thank you for joining us
2: today. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it.
1: Come to so Rod, like, I thank, thanks for coming on. I think this is the first time we've had you on the podcast, which is really exciting for us. I know we've got a pat list of things to talk about today. Um, but I, I guess just kind of fill the people in where you kind of I know you've been traveling around with the team this year. Where where are you currently?
2: Right now, I'm actually home. Thank goodness. Uh, just trying to just just maintain for a little bit of time here for back on the road. You know, we've had a very heavy, heavy schedule on the road the first half of the year or so. But second half is a lot of home games. So although they're going to Boston, I'm not going to go to Boston uh, for this game. But I'll be the next road trip, though.
1: Good, good. So, Chase, do you, want, do you want to get started with our kind of set of questions here? You know, we're going to have Rod with you for as long as possible. As long as Rod can give us, we're going to have him here. So we'll <laughs> hand over to Chase for his first question. All
0: right. So something that I'm always interested in with people that are in the sports media industry, uh, we, t- we asked Sam Farber, the Hornets radio broadcaster, and Sam Purley, the Hornets.com writer, the same question when we had them on. What was your like career path to getting to where you are? Because everyone does it so differently with how the sports media industry is like constantly evolving. So at what point did you kind of know that you wanted to be a B reporter and how'd you get here?
2: Uh, well, started in college, man, really went to school for communications. And that's kind of where it all began is figuring out what exactly um, I want to do in media. And, you know, TV was not really my thing. I like TV and whatnot, but I was always been a writer most of my entire life. Um, going back to elementary school, I was one of those kids who liked to kind of do creative essays and the teacher would ask you to write one. I would write a crazy one that was kind of fictional and, you know, would, would do well in it and get good grades. So I was always a, a great writer. So one day I put the two together. Um, it just came to me. I like sports. I've always been into basketball. I uh, grew up in New York, grew up a Knicks fan, uh, grew up a Giants fan, grew up a Mets fan. Um, so put those two together and it kind of just came to fruition, luckily. So... Um, I, but I hit the ground um, hard, man. I, my first job was in Elmira, New York, you know, a very small newspaper, the Elmira Star Gazette, it's like 24,000 circulation. Um, didn't make much money out of college. Then uh, not work my way up the ladder to get to where I'm at now. So I like to look at my career path, think that I kind of started from the ground and kind of helped me get to where I'm at now, which means that things that I'm doing now become a little bit easier because if you're on your, if you're on, you know, um, a football field on a Friday night in, you know, ride New York and it's raining cats and dogs We're taking football stats to keep track of a football game. Um, because if you don't get them, you're not going to get them otherwise. And now you're getting stuff handed to you as a pro rider, it just makes your life a little bit easier. So I feel like what I've done in the past just has helped me out to where I'm right now.
1: I feel like Chase feels your pain because I know one of Chase's jobs is about collating scores and stuff around like the surrounding areas. So uh, yeah, I'm sure Ch- Chase can, uh, knows that feeling.
2: It's yeah, grunt work, man. It, yeah. it, it stinks at times, but it's what you, at least for me, it's what I had to do to get to where I'm at now. I would change a thing for the world because some people come into business now and want to be handed a pro beat writer's job You know, when you're 25 years old. But unless you really understand the, in the workings of a team, of a beat, it's hard to kind of come in right away out of college and just say, I'm gonna kill it. So I'm happy with my career path and I wouldn't change it for the world.
1: And like, I know, for if you were to say to someone now, someone who's in college, cause quite a lot of people who like listen to this podcast, we've got a lot of young, younger fans as well, who kind of want to write. What are some of the similar kind of words you'd advise? If, if people, you know, listen to this one day, not to take your job, Rod, but one day want to be the Hornets beat reporter. like, What's the kind of one piece of advice that you would impart on them that they, they need to think about or do in their career?
2: Well, first of all, it's not a very uh, lucrative career. Um, it's one of those careers that when you break it down, it's not something that unless you do it for a while, you don't get paid a lot of money right away, what I'm trying to say. So first of all, understand that it's going to be a while to get to the topic. You want to get there. And then secondly, man, just understanding this takes passion because there are times when everybody else is out having fun. Your friends are out on Saturday night um, celebrating somebody's birthday. You're stuck at your laptop or on your phone, chasing down some rumor or some coaching search stuff. So it's not a job is always glamorous. It has the good and the bad, but I would just keep in mind that um, that it's not something that, that you just are gonna come into right away and just flourishing. It's gonna take a little bit of time to kind of find your mark and figure out which is the best direction for you to go and just how you're gonna leave your legacy on the industry somehow.
1: Yeah, I know this is your first year with The Observer, but even before that, you were kind of covering the Charlotte Hornets briefly with The Athletic and SI. I guess, how did you go from, from New York where you were kind of working for the paper and how did you end up covering the Charlotte Hornets and what was your first time actually covering the Hornets?
2: I was covering the Hornets doing some freelance work for them honestly uh when I was working for the Observer just doing some things kind of get into this market here I mean because Charlotte is a smaller market in New York but like anything else you kind to kind of come into this market and find a name for yourself so I want to start from the ground up even here i was able to kind of get here do some work for the Observer just 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 kind of buy my time and then uh, I like got high body athletic to cover the Hornets, that for like two plus seasons. And I just waited my time to get a job with the observers to kind of all worked itself out.
1: Great. And so you, you've obviously been covering what, the, the Hornets for two years with the Athletic. There was, I think, a year with SI and now with the Hornets. Is thats is that four seasons? Is that that you kind of, you'd say you've been following the team four or five years?
2: As long as my bridges have been here. So if you know how long he's been <laughs> with the team, I've been covering him since he's pretty much been with the team.
1: So. Over that time, have you noticed the kind of media landscape? Obviously, with COVID, it's changed. But have you noticed that the role of the beat reporter changing at all, or the kind of relationships between the teams and reporters and players and reporter? How, how has that changed over the years?
2: It's changed a lot because, for one, um, you know, access kind of always gets kind of limited a little bit. You know, there's always a way where teams try to figure out somehow, some way. Um, to make sure that, obviously, the message is getting out there, but also at times it could be controlled the way they want it to be. Um, and I feel like as a rider, at times, our access kind of gets limited. But luckily for me with the Hornets, that's not the case. Um, you know, whenever um, you know looking for a player or something, if, if the player is available and fits within their schedule, they try to make avail- him available to me. Um, but sometimes not that way other organizations. Like right now you mentioned COVID. It's tough before COVID after a game before the game you could go into the locker room talk to anybody you want to they were in there um, and then when they were done you know you kind of leave and kind of go about your business now it doesn't work that way now you're able to get maybe a player or two or three at the most um who you after the game you request and they come and bring them to you and sit them on a the podium and talk to them that way so it's just changed in that regard where it's not as personable as it used to be um hopefully it gets back to what it what it was at some point but I don't think it will, ever get back to completely how it was because you know it's just once you're out of locker room um to me it's kind of a safe haven for the players so getting back in there's gonna be tough as a rider to be able to find a reason in in the NBA's mind and other organizations mind to say you guys can do your job outside of locker room or clubhouse why should you have to go back in there so it's definitely been a little bit of a change but um we're finding ways to make it happen as best we can
1: yeah I always think especially in a small market like Charlotte where you're the only well not you're not the only there is a m- much less media like somewhere like New York you know anyone can say anything and it's just like out there in the big noise of New York but like I think with a lot of people they look at you as like the, the voice of the media and Charlotte, Charlotte Observer has been that way for a number of years and like tone that line between kind of you, you obviously don't want to like upset the team and players but then you want to be that honest reporter that's I think it's much easier to do in a big market where there's more going on. Have you? Has that been a challenge for you at all? I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing from the outside. I'd find that really difficult myself. But how have you found that?
2: It's definitely a challenge, but honestly, I've been doing it my entire career. Um, I go back to when I covered high school sports. Uh, again, that's, that's why I feel like doing it from the ground up, from high school sports, where you get your respect, people actually care about your work more than actually covering a pro team, believe it or not, because if you spell somebody's name wrong in the paper sure. their parent is going to be highly upset with you and want to correction everything else and that to me shows a passion of a local audience in that high school sports small college sports or a different level so i started in that regard and i covered marriage college um basketball um for the pojo news way back in the day it feels like and even going back to then um i was very honored that coach dave mcgarry now coaches Army Women's Basketball was one of the people who liked my coverage and said it was fair and balanced. I've always felt like I'm fair and balanced. I'm never going to sit there and criticize um, a subject or a team without providing context. If, um, you know, you suck, I'm going to go out there and say, well, this is why this person is not playing well. Maybe they're, um, you know, not top of their game, but, you know, they're averaging this many points. They're shooting this percentage. Like, whatever it is, we're going to back up what I'm writing with some kind of facts to kind of essentially let the people know. Not just spewing some, you know, crap out of the top of my, my, my nose, basically, so to speak, not in my lungs. So trying to do whatever I can to make sure that the fans and the team and the audience just knows that I'm fair and balanced. And that's pretty much what I've been my entire career.
0: I can definitely relate to dealing with the the misspelled names. I've got I've gotten my fair share of phone calls about a, a type of misspelling someone's name on a game right up. And it's that, I definitely agree. You got to get in with the basics because. With high school, it's like the the people you're writing about care way more because it's not like a pro player is going back to read whatever like teams local coverage they they work or play for after every game. But a lot for a lot of high school kids, like if they play well and they potentially get their name in the newspaper, that's like one of the coolest things that's happened in, you know, their athletic career. So the, obviously the parents care, coaches care. It's definitely it's definitely good to get yourself in on that introductory level. Mm-hmm. So would you say that there are more media attending the Hornets games this year as they become more competitive? I, I, especially since, I mean, there've been more national TV games this year than there ever really ever has been since they became the Hornets again.
2: Not attending in person because it's still difficult for some people to travel with COVID. Um, Like some companies are still scaling travel back to make sure that people aren't getting infected or they aren't um, putting themselves in danger or at risk. So while the in-person media has not probably uh, jumped up, maybe nationally you probably could say yes. I mean, because although they're not there like in-person at times, like they've had stories the Hornets have in you know national publications, New York Times, um, you know ESPN, um, Sports Illustrated. Like they've had national publications kind of parachute in. Like a better way to put it, and kind of write a story about the team or the mellow ball. So. They're definitely getting more interest and more note, you know, more people noticing them, more eyeballs, and it's what they want because, as we know, the Hornets, um, you know, for years have not been a team that people have been excited about. Um, but now they have a superstar player, LaMelo Ball, who basically is a cultural um player who they can market globally. So, look at it from the Hornets' perspective, yeah, they're definitely going to get more interest media wise. Um, but right now in person has not increased, but that's going to change. The next month or so here, once you start getting past the All Star break and get into like March and April time.
1: So, for you, kind of, what are the? I know we touched on it a little bit briefly, but what's been the biggest challenge of, of your your first reporting season with the Observer? is kind of a, a semi COVID season, I would say. Obviously, it's not you. You've got some in media availability, but what's been the the biggest challenge? With, with covering the team this year. You found is it been more difficult than you thought it was going to be? Is it is kind of this is the first year from what I understand, you've traveled with the team for, for the majority of games. How's that experience been?
2: Right. Well, actually, I've traveled previously, not so much as I have so far this year, but when I covered the team previously, I covered, you know, at least 20 game row games a year minimum, at least half of the road games or so. So from that perspective, it hasn't been any different. But I'll say what has been different has been just um, the protocols. So, like, literally, before I got on this call um, with you guys to do this podcast, you know, you had a player come out of the protocols, Gordon Haywood, who essentially was in there for a week. Um, and I'm walking to the game in Indianapolis from my hotel to the arena, literally right before pregame starts. Um, I'm seeing that Gordon Haywood is out. So, that to me is the biggest thing I've got to deal with this year is having to be in your P's and Q's about players who you may have seen even early that day all of a sudden they're not playing because they're in protocols. So that's been a challenge Staying on top of that and making sure that, um, you know, whoever's in protocols, you know, if they can come out against at any point, it could be a false positive. It could be, um, like, like, you know, somebody like Kai Jones, who's was in there for a couple of days and was out. I mean, so everybody's different. Mello ball was in there for, I think 10 days or so. So every player is different. So to me, that's been the biggest challenge is still on top of protocols and making sure that the guys, um, you know, when they do come out, that you essentially um, are still on top of the best you can because it's never really not easy to be able to know who's coming out and when they're coming out on top of that.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's what all players want to know. When is Hayward back? When is Lamelo back? You know, when it's, it's one of those. That no one knows. Not even the players probably know themselves when, when they're testing positive. So it's, yeah, I can understand how that's challenging. You're trying to write mm-hmm. previews and recaps and, and stuff like that.
0: So with all the I mean we have Hayward the protocols right now McDaniels and Ubrey are hurt we even throughout the year when everybody else had gone into them the Hornets young players have got had really gotten to show themselves like James Booknight JT Thor and the Hornets player development in general has been probably the biggest success story or the biggest part of their success story in the last couple of years and a few people have had a closer hand in the while as an observer than you have in the last couple of seasons what is your impression of kind of how the coaching staff has fostered a culture of development in the last, or basically just since James Borrego took over?
2: I mean, I actually wrote about that a couple of years ago, and that's part of what they've tried to do here. Um, again, with this team and franchise not being one that people have been known to have free agents kind of want to come here, the go down to kind of come and play in Charlotte. You got to find a way to kind of build this thing from the ground up and the horns knew right away. Yeah, it was about development. And that's why they brought James Borrego in here thought that he'd be able to do it in San Antonio, where he helped groom um, Manuel Ginobili. Um, he's there for Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. Like, he's there for all these these, these players that come through San Antonio, even Kawhi Leonard, kind of help them become better players. So the Hornets want to kind of bring that kind of um, vibe here to Charlotte, and to me, it's work. Uh, if you look at what they've done over the four years they've been here, the players that they have developed from – Devonte Graham, to Cody Martin, to Caleb Martin, to Jalen McDaniels, to Miles Bridges. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Like, they've developed the guys that they actually have drafted or brought in here and made them better. So, to me, you can say a lot of things about the Hornets and the coaching staff and, and defense and everything else, but one thing you can't say is that they don't know how to develop players because they've done a hell of a job bringing these guys to respectability and being able to – kind of make them not only like good NBA players, but actually take them to probably a different level of many people that they probably couldn't even reach. So to me, that that's, uh, reflects on them and just what they've done so far well. And if you don't recognize that they've um, been able to kind of just change the culture in terms of that regards here, then you're not paying attention.
1: And um, you will have seen some of the, you will see one of the Steve Clifford years, I think, with the Athletic um no right? i was not
2: steve clipper like i got hit right toward the end of steve Clifford, you? but um okay. you know, yeah so i wasn't really around for his tenure
1: okay i was, okay. was gonna ask kind of what's the difference in environment that you'd seen if you had been but no that, that's fair enough um okay no worries well obviously soon i think thursday this week um not sure when this pod will get released but on on thursday the all-star reserves are being announced uh the miles bridges hopeful all-stars I know you wrote a piece for the Shot Observer saying that LaMelo Ball should be an all-star. Um, how how big a deal do you think it is for both the team and LaMelo himself from kind of what you've seen around conversations you've heard? And and what do you think it means for the organization? Are people getting carried away? Like, does an all-star mean anything? Like, what is your impression of that?
2: I think it means more to, like, the fans and The people in the offices who are all about marketing and trying to make sure that the team is is kind of going straight and narrow and that people actually want to, you know, uh, be around the Hornets and and buy tickets and merchandise. That, to me, is what they really care about more. If you ask LaMelo Ball, he doesn't care. I mean, James Borrego, I'm sure, probably cares because, again, it's reflection upon him. But LaMelo Ball, while he liked to be there and liked to have fun, at this point, he's 20 years old. He probably wants time off to be able to relax, honestly. Like he's happy the lucky he could kls Meaning while he'd be excited about being there, I don't think it matters to him either way. He's more about winning games, trying to bring something different to Charlotte. And so far he's done that. Um, but I, I think that it will be good for the organization as a whole, because think about it, you haven't had one since Kemba. And Kemba um maybe also star team in his last year in Charlotte, and the game was in Charlotte, so it kind of was a nostalgia thing on top of that. But you see Lamello ball make the all-star break, all-star game, excuse me, would be a great thing because it will show you once again that only in the second year, just how much growth that he's made from year one to year two and how much growth he can make from year two, to year three and beyond. So we the wait and see how it all breaks down. You know, he has some guys ahead of him in terms of pecking order who, who might, um, you know, make it tough for him to, to be able to be selected. But either way, just being in the top five and fan voting and just get recognized down to this point is a win for him and the organization. Now it's more about just taking that kind of um, momentum, keeping it going from here on out.
0: So I've got to ask you about this because I've, I've seen the, the LaMelo stands uh, flood your mentions before. Given, I mean, it's, it's so funny to me because he's such, like, a laid-back guy for how, like, famous and popular he's been since, since such a young age. But his fans go so hard on the Internet. Like, what, what has your – has that been something that you noticed, like, right away when he came to town was, like, the, the influx of LaMelo-specific fans?
2: Definitely noticed that. Notice it a little bit more this season because, um, you know, he's having obviously a great year and the Hornets having a great year too. But literally after every game, it's, it's like a certain section of just – those fans of his to try to play gotcha. And it's really annoying because it shows sure that they don't really know a lot about basketball. Like maybe you know about LaMelo in your mind, maybe you feel like he's your guy, that's, that's whatever. But in terms of the Hornets perspective, the organization, where they're going, what they're doing, you just, it just is, is annoying because they swear that there's this um vendetta against them by the coaching staff, to kind of just, just keep him in this certain, like, Box and not let him develop or, or grow. I mean, Lamelo is this team's face. Like he's the face of the franchise. The Hornets go as he goes. So to make it seem like the coaching staff doesn't want to see him and succeed, or James Borrego doesn't want to play with as many minutes as he should because he wants to play Terry Rozier or Cody Martin more, it's just ridiculous, man. So it's really, um, I'm sure of you're core. Hornets fan who have been around a team for like years even decades look at these these fans and say what are they talking about so yeah it's been definitely been a lot more hardcore than last year even um but I'm getting to a point now I'm just starting to just ignore people because they obviously don't know what they're talking about and it's more just to kind of get a rise out of you more it's obvious
0: yeah I've definitely started to tune it out a little bit as well because like you said it's just like the idea that the franchise has a uh, something against like the best player that they've had since Kemba Walker and like the biggest, the face of the franchise is like, this is not how sports teams operates. But I mean, all of the the things that they've done so far that have led up to what they've surrounded LaMelo with the team, the team is really good right now. And there, there's an argument that, I mean, some people would sure, certainly make that they could make a trade to bolster their playoff position. What are your thoughts on that? Like with the upcut, do you think that's a possibility for, I know, I mean, Mitch Kupchak, the only midseason trade that he's made with the Hornets was Brad Wanamaker last season. So, I mean, he's not a, not an in-season roster maneuvering guy up until this point, but do you think that's a, a bigger possibility with how formidable the team looks so far?
2: I think so. I actually wrote about that. Um, it was a paper was a paper actually on Tuesday uh, posted online, I think Monday. So yeah, I actually kind of believe that Whether that happens or not, I'm not going to sit here and predict it because I'm not that silly to say, make it seem like I know what Mitch Kupchak is going to do because as you mentioned, he's his own man, for one. He's not going to do something just to do it, in my mind, for two. That's not the way he operates. He's going to do it if it's going to make sense for him and the organization moving forward. But if it's going to just, you know, for the sake of actually making the move just to do it, that's not what he does. So if you ask me truthfully, I believe that they will, only because if you see the team as it is right now, as I wrote, like they can't go forward playoff wise and be confident that you're going to win a series because although Mason Plumlee has been good for you this year and better than this map was a was for you the previous couple of years. He doesn't have what you want in the fourth quarter because his free, free throw percentage is like one of the worst of all time. I mean, 33% is not great. And although he gives you athleticism, rebounding. Um, he plays well well with the melon in the pick and roll, and you know his above the rim game with his rush alley-oops. Come crunch time, if you're playing against a Jared Allen, or you know some of these guys who are bigger seven footers, and you can't control those guys, you got to play small because your center can't hit free throws. You're playing with PJ Washington as your five, although PJ can hit three pointers, he's not going to be out there blocking seven foot you know shots shots of seven footers. So to me, that makes you weaker because in the playoff time. You're going to have your, your best lineup out there in crunch situations. So if you asking me all these questions, that's why I said the Hornets, to me, have to find a way to go out there and make the right move for the right price. Because if they don't, it was me their growth this year because I don't see them getting past the first round with the way they are right now, the center spot. It's
1: really interesting. You know, I, I heard Jay Trano on your podcast the other day talking about how and I think he he literally used the phrase, and I'm going to paraphrase, but hopefully it's, it's close enough that Jay won't mind, that they can't play Mason at the end of games because of his free-throw shooting, which, and then you're essentially, you're tied into playing PJ Washington, like you say, and that's fine in certain matchups. But like you say, it, you look in the first round of the playoffs, that's that's going to be a challenge. But it's really interesting that you think they will make a move because I think me and Chase have talked before. We, we, we probably discussed it being, like, it could happen, but it seems unlikely. But, I mean, there's there's a range of people out there. There's, you know, Nurkic, Holmes, Turner, uh, Zubac, uh, Thomas Bryant, Montrezl Harrell, Daniel Gaff. There's actually quite a lot of names that have been floated out there. Is Are any of those guys, the kind of people that you, from what you've watched in the, the league over the last four or five years, you feel would be a really good fit or anything that you've heard uh, where you know there's some interest there of any of those names or anyone else?
2: I think I think almost any of the guys you mentioned would fit with them because you know while some fit better than others, the you know, Hornets obviously have to have somebody come in and help them on defense. So let Nurkic do that, probably not, but he costs you less than to get a Miles Turner or Demonte Sabonis. So in that regard, that's why I see him doing something because of all the names you mentioned, Thomas Bryant. Montrez Harold, you know, throwing Christian Wood out there, uh, Mitchell Robson, all these guys are on teams that are either floundering or just trying to figure out their next move. maybe want to make a move to kind of shake things up. So does not mean you have to go out there and give away a first-round draft pick and Kai kind of Jones, James Booknight, on, uh, some kind of combo of that to get you who you want? doesn't mean that, but I think with all the names we talked about, you could probably pry one of those guys away for the right price and make it seem like... You keep your core intact because that's the main thing is keeping your core intact You're not getting away you know, obviously the mellow or miles or gordon those guys are all going to be a terry rosier those guys are all going to be here it's more about bringing in one more piece to be able to help you athletically in the paint because that's been their main issue with is defense in the paint and rim protection and just intimidating people coming inside and to me does it mean again you have to go out there and get a world beater no but i have have to improve somehow some way to be able to feel good about themselves come playoff time. So seeing all that, that's why I think they'll do something. Does it mean it's a blockbuster move? No. Does it mean that they absolutely will? No, but I think they know they probably have to. If they don't, they're going to kind of be stagnant, to me, moving forward the rest of the season.
1: I'm curious, Rod, were you surprised that they didn't pursue homes and free agency in the summer? You know, Did that catch you off guard when they kind of made that move and decided to go down the Oubre route? Um, I
2: think so. I, I think so only because Rashawn Holmes was one person that was linked to them for a while. And I think even maybe he may even want to come to the Hornets because if you remember the game back in Sacramento, he was a beast. Like he was killing them out there with I think a career high a rebound hold, yeah. and like everything out there. So that to me is one of those games where it's like, hey, y'all didn't want me or y'all didn't come out to me any, the way I thought you were or should have. That to me was a message that he sent to them, I believe that that night. So seeing all that, um, yeah, he probably fits perfectly with these guys. But now it's about, again, salary cap situation, how does he fit with you moving forward? If you bring him in, are you hampered to be able to make a move next off-season or season after that? So can you resign miles of the number you want to do? So it just depends on just how they fit structure wise. I'm not one of those guys who won't sit here and tell you uh, that kind of stuff because I'm not a solid cap expert. You know That kind of stuff is like somebody to the guys who are much more smarter than me. I do nuts and bolts and things of that nature. But if he fits structure wise with their salary, it will not hamper them moving forward. He absolutely is a guy that I think that they will be interested in bringing in for the right price, considering, especially, the Kings are just a hot mess. So they have to just blow it up, start over anyway. So if you can pry him away from them for the right price and not give away too much in the long run, I definitely would do that move if I could, probably Hornets.
1: Just got last two questions here quickly before we uh, before we, we let you get away, because I know you're busy. Um, You know, people always love the kind of behind the scenes thing. Is there something, a player personality trait? Like, is someone really funny that you didn't know? Is someone actually really quiet who comes across loud when you watch them on TV? Is, is there anything from just being around the team, being around the guys, something that the general fan who watches the games might not know about? any of the players um, that, that can, you can, you can share. Does anything stand out to
2: you? Uh, well, maybe, I mean, if you guys notice Melo ball doesn't say very much when he talks to us, um, I'm sure people look for his post game videos and interviews all the time. He doesn't say a whole lot. Um, I yeah. ask him a lot of questions. He doesn't give a lot of answers, but when I do talk to him um, by myself. Or when I see him or whatever, just interact with his teammates and, and, and everybody else. The guy is fun loving, man. He's, hysterical, he's a riot, but I think he's just the opposite of his dad. Like, you know, you know Lavar was out there being boisterous and telling anybody how much he's going to have his three sons um, come in the NBA and just change the landscape, um, but his sons are the exact opposite. You know, Lonzo doesn't say very much. Jello says zero, and, you know, Mel's in the same boat. So to me, that's one thing is I would say never really look at a guy's interviews and judge that's how he really is. A lot of times they're just they're putting on for the camera um, so either saying the right thing or just making sure that they're being professional. But behind the scenes, these guys are really funny. They're human beings. Um, you know, I put a video out of the other day after the, I think the, after the Lakers game, Clippers game, pregame, Miles Bridges having fun with his son and daughter on the court. I mean, he's, he's bringing his son on the court and kissing them to death and just having fun. So that's probably the biggest thing is some of these play fans think these guys don't care or they're robots. They're human beings like me and you. And just because maybe a little more thin, thick-skinned than maybe we are, because you have to deal with people saying stuff to them that they would never say to them in their face. Don't think that they are human beings, and you know, don't judge them by what you see in terms of interviews or what you see in terms of stuff in an article. You know, they're probably different than what you think.
1: And you, you can't blame them because I know it was that one game, I think it was in Brooklyn, where Lamello on the court, it was caught by camera that it sounded like he said to someone that, no, I'm cool, I'm staying in Charlotte. And someone was asking to go to Brooklyn. And it became a story. Like, it was a, someone trying to read someone's lips on, like, a three-second video clip. And I think I even heard Lamelo say in an interview, like, uh, I think it was by Sports Illustrated, um, he said in that Piece, he was like that turned into a huge thing and literally someone just asked me where are you going tonight and i said we're going back to charlotte like so you can understand why these people are so guarded because you say one thing it gets misconstrued misquoted and all of a sudden it just creates them a bunch of headaches that they that they don't want
2: exactly and that makes no sense because these guys don't want to have something they say turn to a big headline i mean unless they actually have it calculated that you do doing it on purpose they have Twitter for that, so they don't want to have things change in that regard. So you're right; don't judge these guys by the cover because you might not be actually accurate what you're thinking.
0: So you've been—I mean, you've been to way more NBA arenas than I have, so I could be wrong here. But is are the Hornets are pretty unique in having their game arena and then their practice facility basically connected in—in in this like a short walk away from each other. There are there aren't any other teams that have a setup like that, right? That you've been to at least.
2: Uh, There's a a few. I mean, things like that actually are becoming more commonplace now because some of these teams want to be able to have their arena where they practice at in the same places as obviously where they play their games. Um, It's not always easy because the arenas obviously were pretty much – some of them were built before. The teams kind of occupied them and they thought about that. But most places now, if you have a new arena or you've redone something, you wouldn't have your facility near – for example, Chicago – Used to have the Bulls had theirs way out somewhere, like I think Rosemont or something like that, someplace crazy out of suburbs. But now it's a block away across the street from the facility at United Center. So I think teams kind of want to do that if they can because it also makes it easier for you in the game day. Like I know the Knicks practice like up in Westchester, for example, shoot around in Westchester. Then you come down to Manhattan for a game. That's a lot of travel, man. Anybody knows about New York knows coming from Westchester down to Manhattan not an easy commute with this morning, noon or, or night. So I think keep trying to find ways to kind of make life easier for their players in the Hornets for them. I mean, the facility right there Tasty Tasty arena doesn't get any better than that.
0: So have you ever been like hanging around finishing a story after a game and seen a player like what just walk out of the locker room and go in and start getting shots up? Like, is there anybody that do- uh, tends to, you know, put in extra work after the, after the game is over?
2: Uh, sometimes, yeah, but I, now it's hard to see as much because, again, with COVID and stuff, we're kind of, like, not separated, but a lot of times we're in a different area than we used to be before. So by the time we get about it, everybody's really gone. Man. So, um, But, you know, you can see players, I like guess, today. This book night was, um, you know, before the game on Sunday. Clippers, he was in the, the arena, the facility where they practiced at, shooting throws, and people were in there eating their hamburgers and you know, eating popcorn and watching him shoot throws before – the game. So, um, sometimes it happens before or after games, but yeah, guys are trying to hone their skills for the most part, as much as they can.
1: And I know Buck missed his first free throw in that Clippers game. So I bet he will be really annoyed <laughs> that he was there hours earlier and then, and then, um, you know, he misses his first free throw, but credit to Buck for getting in there, getting in there early. Um, Rod, I think that is everything we had. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Rod Boone, Charlotte Observer coming on at the Hive Live. Um, so grateful to have you on before the trade deadline. I'm sure you've got a busy week coming up, uh, the next 10 days or so before the deadline. And know, uh, yeah, we we look forward to to hearing to hearing more of the podcast. Uh, you do want to plug anything your, your, your podcast or your your articles where people can find your work? I mean, everyone already knows, I don't know why we're plugging it, but just in case they don't.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you can find my work at charlotteobserver.com. Um, you know, we have subscription offers of people who say, Oh, it's behind a paywall, I don't want to pay for stuff. Well. If you want a subscription offer at a special rate, just come to my stories. There's a link at the bottom of stories. You click on that. Get a special sub offer to be able to read my stuff. Um, it's them more than a, a cup of coffee, man, which most people buy every day nowadays. So definitely is worth it. The podcast is posted every week. The QC Hornet's Nest, um, I'm loving it. It's going to be episode 12 this week. I have a special guest coming up probably on Thursday or so this week. So look for that. But, yeah, the podcast is doing its thing. And we'll move from speed ahead. So thanks for you guys for giving me a minute of your time as well.
1: And, and if people, I'll say it for Rod, because Rod won't say it, but if you want local beat coverage, you need to subscribe to these online newspapers. You know, print is not the same way it was. People are not buying newspapers the same way. So if, if you want Rod's insight, if you enjoy his writing, if you enjoy his podcasts, please sign up, um, because that is going to be the future of, of online and kind of mixture print media, that they need that support.
2: Absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, you're not going to be able to get coverage of the Hornets anywhere else other than Charlotte Observer. Um, And that's that's being truthful. You can go to national publications if you want to. You go to other different places, but the only place other than the Hornets actual website, team website, where you're going to find coverage of the team every day, road or away, is at our website, CharlotteObserver.com.
0: Absolutely. Support local journalism, support Rod. Thank you very much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun talking to you. Good luck with the rest you of the season. Me, we look forward to reading all yes, your sir. stuff.
2: Yes, sir. You got it. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks Rod.